0: was good. <laughs> That's what the cash on would say. <clears throat> yeah, that was real good. Real good. Well, yes. Kiddos, y'all get out of here. <laughs> y'all follow Miss Dale to over there to the children's building love to see uh, our young people worshiping the Lord and leading in worship of the Lord. They did a great job uh, on the drums and the guitars and all of that singing. Yeah, at least you did too. <laughs> well, we come to the uh, close of our... Uh, series Facing the Unknown, and tonight's the last uh, message of this series, and um, just want to ask you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to read the first 18 verses to set the stage for uh, tonight's message. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. By the way, this is not part of the message, but um, three times in these 18 verses, that's what Abraham said, here I am. So as we talk about the theme of, of facing the unknown, we face unknown circumstances, but we face a known God. And we can be assured that God is with us. And when he calls us, our only response needs to be not, Lord, I know what's going on. Lord, I got this. Lord, I can handle this. Or it just needs to be that simply, Lord, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering, and he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off, and Abraham said to his young young men, stay here with the donkey, the lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And Abraham said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb, for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told them, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he found Isaac his son, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven, and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing, and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants, as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is on the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice.
1: To explain this to Sarah. You haven't I am so counting on you to and deliver.
0: You know there was a lot of unknowns and this whole story that we've talked about in the life of Abraham, and we come to kind of the, the close of this series with this most severe trial that Abraham faced. And in this trial, there were some, some unknowns that Abraham had. First of all, he didn't know that this was a test. You see that in the first verse. came to pass that God tested Abraham. Notice that God did not inform Abraham that this was a test. He didn't say, Abraham, I'm testing you to see if you'll obey me. So take your son. Now, had God told Abraham, I'm, I'm giving you a test to see if you'll obey me, Abraham would have passed with flying colors, right? I mean, he would have known it was a test, but he didn't know this was a test. What if God were to test our spiritual metal right now? What if this very moment he were to test our level of commitment to him, our love and our devotion to him? What Would that test look like? Where would he test you? And what would he find? Well, God did that with Abraham in this passage. And I believe he does this for us on a regular basis. We just don't recognize it as such because it doesn't seem to be as grand as this account with Abraham. Every time we're tempted by the devil to sin, it's an opportunity for us to prove our love and devotion to God. Every time we're asked to compromise our convictions, it's a test of our loyalty to God. But we've got to remember, according to James 1.13, that God does not tempt us to do evil or tempt us with evil, but I believe it's true to Scripture to say that God does test us from time to time. And unlike the devil's temptations that are designed to make us fail, God's tests are designed to lead us to victory. We only fail because we don't accept God's grace or depend upon Him at that moment. Well, perhaps you're going through a time of testing by God right now. Think through your life. What is it that uh, God has designed in your life Circumstances that you're going through that could be a test from God. Perhaps you think that uh, it's designed by the devil to defeat you or to discourage you. But could it be that God designed it to strengthen you and to build your faith and your dependence upon him? You know, I remember uh, Tom Jones used to tell us that he would tell Ben Jones as Ben was coming up, growing up as a teenage boy, he would say, Ben, you don't know what you don't know. And that phrase has stuck with me. And I realize that in my relationship with God, that's true of me. I don't know what I don't know. I know what I do know, but I don't know what I don't know. And every time I go somewhere and learn something, I go, wow, I didn't know that. But I didn't know I didn't know that until I found out that I needed to know that. So let me say to you tonight, you don't know what you don't know. Our fallen nature tells us to interpret our experiences through our what we can see and what we can feel. Therefore, when we feel bad about something or something looks bad, we automatically interpret it to be bad. And that God could not be in it because it feels bad and it looks bad. Enter Job. One day, he lost everything he owned. Because of a great storm, an earthquake, came and took everything he owned. Took all of his children. He had ten children. All of them perished. All of his financial resources, all that he held dear. Another day thereafter, he lost his health. So much so that he (coughs) went out and says he scraped his sores with a piece of pottery. And the dogs licked his sores. Nobody wanted anything to do with him. How do you think Job felt? You think he felt good? I think he felt terrible. He felt the worst that he's ever felt in his whole life. But Job didn't know what he didn't know. What didn't Job know? He didn't know that this was a test. We know it because we read the book of Job and we realize that God. And the devil had a conversation. The devil wanted to do all this to Job to make Job's faith fail, to prove to God that Job wasn't who he said he was. He doesn't love you, he doesn't trust you. You let me uh, uh, torment him and afflict him, I'll prove to you that he'll curse you and die. Job wasn't privy to that. What about these tornadoes we've had? property damage that some folks have sustained, the the loss of life, what don't we know about those things? All we see is the destruction and the devastation and the loss of life, and and we interpret those things as bad, and and therefore, because it's bad, then, then God could not be in it. Therefore, God could not use it. See, that's how we interpret things. this is what God wants us to learn, that following him doesn't always make sense. It's not always safe and comfortable, and maybe even painful, as he leads us on this path of conforming us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 29 says that is God's purpose, that we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's God's purpose in you, and that's God's purpose in me, and he will do whatever it takes to conform us to the image of of his son, Jesus Christ. After all, isn't that how Jesus had to learn? Hebrews 5, 8. The Bible says, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he... Y'all don't like that word either, do you? What's the word? Suffered. Suffered. I'd rather learn obedience by the things I enjoy. Wouldn't you? But it's by the things we suffer. Don't you think that Abraham could have been wondering why God would ask him to sacrifice Isaac since Isaac was the fulfillment of God's promise. God said, Abraham I'm gonna give you a son, he's gonna come from you and Sarah and uh, it's gonna be in your old age and as we learned this morning God did did indeed uh, provide that son for them in their old age and God said it's not gonna be through Ishmael, it's gonna be through Isaac, this is the son of promise and now You must sacrifice him to me. So after all those years of waiting and wondering, and now God finally comes through with their very own son, and now he's asking Abraham to kill him, doesn't make any sense, does it? Unless you understand that Abraham didn't know what he didn't know unless you understand that God was testing him, unless you understand that God was up to something in Abraham's life. And that's how you and I have to approach every trial, every hardship, every heartbreak, every difficulty, is that there are some things I don't know. And if I only interpret my circumstances and my hardships by what I see and what I feel, chances are great that I will come to the wrong conclusion. I have to understand that God may be in this. And I have to look for God's activity in this hardship, in this difficulty, and find out, Lord, what are you doing? Don't we often wonder, God, you saved me. You called me to this Christian life to serve you. Well, I've been doing that. But why all these problems? Why all these temptations and trials and heartbreaks? It's as if we expected perfection in our behavior and in our surroundings the moment we got saved. We know that's not true, but we get so upset when that's not true because that's kind of how we expect life to go. Could it be that God's allowed all the hardships in your life because He's up to something in your life, just like He was in Abraham's? So, of course... You don't know what you don't know. And that's why he calls us to trust him implicitly. God's not going to come to you tonight and say, tomorrow I'm going I'm, I'm to do something really that you're going to think is bad. But trust me, it's just a test. Chances are it's going to blindside you. And it's going to bowl you over. And God's going to bring you back to this message right here. And he's going to remind you, you don't know what you don't know. Trust me. I got this. Second thing Abraham didn't know, he didn't know the significance of the place. God said in verse 2, take your son and go up to the land of Moriah. It seems each time, and by the way, he says, uh, "And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you." It seems each time God asked Abraham to go somewhere, he always said, "Go, and I'll tell you exactly where on the way." Right? And then that's what he did in Genesis chapter twelve. The first Sunday we started this series, he said, "Go and and uh, to a land that I will show you." Here he says, "Go to a mountain that I will show you, and I'll tell you about." You know, God's a detailed God. Look at all the uh, intricate ways that he made the world and the universe and even our bodies. He's a very detailed God, but he isn't obligated to give all of those details to us ahead of time. Is he? Don't we wish he did? We always want to know where. Why here? Why there? We always want to know why this? Why that? God says, just head towards the land of Mount Mor- of Moriah and I'll show you the mountain when you get there. The name Moriah means foreseen, foreseen of Jehovah. What was foreseen by God? It's a real question. What is foreseen by God? Young say it out loud. What's foreseen by God? Everything. Did he foresee all the problems and troubles in your life that you've already experienced? Does he foresee all the ones you're headed for? sure he does. But in this context, what was foreseen by God was how he would redeem sinners to himself through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And he gives Abraham and Isaac a view of that as... Mount Moriah is a divinely painted picture of what would eventually happen on Mount Calvary. In fact, J. Vernon McGee said it's the belief of many that Moriah is the particular mount that the temple is built on, or was built on. And they actually belong to the same ridge of mountains that goes through there, Jerusalem. And he says, I think the entire ridge was Moriah. So many people believe that the Lord Jesus died on the same ridge, the same mountain, possibly even on the same spot where Abraham offered Isaac. Now why is that important to you and me today? Because you and I will hardly ever understand the location or the surroundings or circumstances of our test. Lord, why are you testing me in my job? Why are you testing me in my marriage? Why are you testing me at school? But it's just where God intends to do a greater work than in just you. You see, it ain't, I know that's not proper, it ain't just about you. It wasn't just about Abraham. And the test you're going through isn't just about you. And where you're going through it, at home, at work, at job, wherever, play, whatever it is, at school, it's not just about you. He put that test in your life in that particular set of circumstances because he is calling the people around you to himself. And he's using your test to do that. Just as Moriah was not for Abraham, it was a foreshadowing of the death of his son Jesus Christ that would be God calling every man and woman, boy and girl to himself. And maybe God is doing that with your test in the location that you find your test taking place so he can revolutionize that place and give that place a higher purpose than you ever thought. He could revolutionize your home. He could revolutionize your workplace, your school because of the test that you're going through there what else was unknown by Abraham well verse seven Isaac spoke to Abraham his father said my father and Abraham said here I am and Isaac said look the fire and the wood but where's the lamb Isaac had a question where's the lamb don't you think that's a pretty obvious question you know uh, Isaac was familiar with sacrifices and, and They're going to make a sacrifice, and there's no lamb. Everything is there but the lamb. So not only did Abraham not know what he didn't know, poor Isaac, he knew even less. He was not privy to the conversation that Abraham and God had had, that he, Isaac, was to be the sacrifice. But God had a lesson for Isaac, too. The lesson that God was teaching Abraham was not just for him, but it would impact Isaac and succeeding generations and the whole world. You see, our faith and our dependence on God during our fires of testing, our obedience to Him during the hottest part of our testing is often the spark that ignites the faith of someone around you. It's because you watch maybe your parents going through a difficult trial and you see their faith, that your faith becomes real. Or you see another Christian who goes through a severe trial in their life as we're watching Shirley Dixon deal with what she's dealing with, with such faith and strength, how it ignites and burns hotter our faith. You see... Abraham didn't know how God would provide, but he did know God would provide. And he said to Isaac, God will provide for himself the lamb. He instilled that faith, and that statement of faith carried Isaac through. Isaac never said another word. He just trusted his father like Abraham trusted his heavenly father. And one day Isaac's faith would become his own and he would grow up and instill that faith in his children and and their children all the way to where we are today. You see, we don't know that how what we don't know of what God is up to in our lives will impact people. We'll never know. Did y'all catch that? One more time. We don't know how what we don't know of what God is up to in our lives will impact people we may never know. Abraham did not know that what he was going through. He did not understand the full impact of what God was bringing him through. How that would impact people he would never meet in this world. That's why you walk one step at a time by faith, not by sight. And you realize, lastly, another thing that Abraham didn't know. And I want to tie all this together with the last thing he didn't know. He didn't know the bigger picture. Now, we read this story. And we come to verse 18, the last verse we read. And it says, God said to him, In your seed all nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And we kind of see the bigger picture. But Abraham didn't have the luxury that we have. And even though God told him this in verse 18, In your seed all the nations of the world will be blessed, it wasn't until after this whole scene had unfolded that God gave Abraham these words. And and, and I'm sure that Abraham still didn't fully comprehend the extent of God's meaning, like that he fully grasped. But we're told that it was during this severe trial of Abraham's faith is when God preached the gospel to him. For Galatians 3.8 says, Paul writes, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, that's you and me, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So it was this story in Genesis 22 that God used to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to Abraham, how was Abraham saved? The same way you are, by faith in Jesus Christ. Abraham's faith looked forward to Jesus. Ours simply looks the other direction, backwards, to the cross. The gospel was preached to Abraham. We read this story, and we see all of Abraham's words, as I just read at the beginning of this message. We, we read of all of his actions, and in and, and just a moment, you're going to see how they parallel to Christ in the gospel. But I don't believe Abraham knew all this. I think he was just doing what he knew to be doing. I think when God said, offer your son as a sacrifice, that he did what he normally would do in a sacrifice. He got a bundle of wood. He tied it up. He put it on the donkey. He got a knife. And then when they got to where they were going, he gave some instructions to his servants. He took the wood from them. He put it on his son Isaac, and he led him up the mountain. And he raised his hand, and he raised his knife. And all these actions and all these things that Abraham said, Abraham was just living life, just going through this test the best way he possibly could, but God was orchestrating every step and every word, and then it wasn't until it was all said and done that we see the picture of the gospel here in almost perfect form. For example, take the wood in the altar. We read it in chapter 18, verses 6 through 9. Notice that Abraham takes the wood and lays it on his son Isaac. The Bible says in John 19, 7 that Jesus bore the cross as he made his way to the hill. You see, not only does this picture Christ carrying the physical cross, but both Isaac carrying the wood and Christ carrying his cross reveal something even more significant. Abraham took the wood. But from who? The servants, more than likely. And Abraham the father took the wood and placed it on his son Isaac. Their load became his. He carried their weight while they went free. It was their burden, now it becomes Isaac. And the Bible says in Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, every one of us, to our own way. But the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5:21 that he became sin who knew no sin, that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. It was God the Father who placed the weight of our sin on His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Our burden became His burden so we could go free. But notice also the wood that He bore, then bore Him in verse 9 of, of Genesis 18. I'm sorry, Genesis 22. He says, Then they came to the place of which God had said, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. The cross Christ carried would be the cross upon which he would lay down his life. And one thing we don't hear or see in this passage in Genesis 22 is Isaac's protests. Even as he bound his son and he laid his son Isaac on the altar and on this wood, Isaac didn't utter a word of protest. Neither did Christ. One author said the picture would not be complete had Isaac rebelled, for Christ didn't rebel. Why then did Abraham tie Isaac up? Why did he have to bind his hands? Well, let me ask you this question. Why did they tie Christ up? The Gospels record that Jesus was bound, but it wasn't because he protested or rebelled against what was happening. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, 7, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Just as Jesus was willing to submit to the will of his father, so was Isaac submissive to his father. Jesus said, in John 10, 18, no man, I lay my down my life, no man takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. So the wood and the altar depict the gospel. The sacrificial lamb obviously depicts the, uh, the gospel Is Isaac says, Where's the lamb? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. And then verse 12 and 13. The angel comes and says, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you've not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. You see, even though Isaac offered no protest, he did have a question where's the lamb? And then Abraham said that God will provide for himself. Now, the immediate context is that God would provide the lamb for the sacrifice Abraham was making, that God would not allow Abraham to go through with killing Isaac, but he would provide a literal lamb. And indeed, he did. Verse 13, we just read it. But the extended interpretation is that God, in fact, if you read the King James, anybody still have the old King James? It says... God will provide himself a sacrifice. Now that's a whole different picture, isn't it? That's exactly what God did when he sent his son, Jesus Christ. God in the flesh comes down to be Jesus Christ. God the Son became the sacrificial lamb. He became the lamb of God. And John the Baptist recognized that and said, Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Notice verse 13, it says, And Abraham went and took the lamb and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Instead of. Jesus was offered instead of me. Jesus was sacrificed instead of you. The ram was the substitute for Isaac. Instead of Isaac dying, the lamb took his place, and Jesus took our place on the cross. And the sacrifice has been provided in the mouth of the Lord, Calvary. Abraham called the place, if you'd notice here in verse 14, Abraham called the name of the place, I'm sorry, verse, um, yeah, that's right, 14. The Lord will provide, meaning, or the word is Jehovah-Jireh, meaning the Lord will provide. For it was there that God intervened on his behalf. It was at Mount Calvary. Again, possibly the same physical location that God intervened on our behalf. The Lord provided for the forgiveness of our sin through the cross of Jesus Christ. I want you to notice something else very interesting. We have the gospel here. The gospel includes the death of Jesus Christ. But is the gospel complete at just the death? Or do we need to talk about the best part, which is what? The resurrection. Is the resurrection in this story? What do you think? Do you know where it is? Look at verse 5. What does verse 5 say? What did Abraham say to those men, those servants? <laughs> we will come back. Now Abraham didn't have a mouse in his pocket. Some of y'all don't know what that means. He was saying, me and Isaac will come back. Now, what does that mean? Scripture is the best interpretation of Scripture. Here's what Hebrews eleven nineteen 19 says. 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. So Hebrews tells us what Genesis 22 points us to, the gospel of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Abraham was confident that even if he had to slay his only begotten son, That God would raise him up. Why? Because Isaac was the son of promise. You remember, we read it this morning back in Genesis chapter 17. Remember, remember Abraham said, Lord, let Ishmael be the son of promise. God said, Oh no, it won't be Israel. It won't be Ishmael. Here's what God said. God said, um, It will be. Isaac, in verse uh, chapter 17, he said, No, Isaac is the son of promise, and not not, uh, Ishmael. So Abraham already had this confirmed, and now he's he's being asked to offer his son as a sacrifice, but he knows, even if he had to plunge that knife into the heart of his only son, that somehow, miraculously, God would raise him back from the dead. Hebrews eleven nineteen 19 says it was a picture of the resurrection and that he received him back from the dead in a figurative sense. That's the language in Hebrews 11. After three days. You know, it took him three days to get to Moriah. It was on the third day that God spared his son Isaac. So in a figurative figurative sense, as the scripture says in Hebrews 11, he was raised from the dead on the third day, Isaac. But in a literal sense, Jesus was raised from the dead. Jesus literally died. Jesus was literally buried. Jesus was literally raised from the dead. What a wonderful picture. Here in Genesis 22, God has given us of of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus promised many times after he was crucified that he would rise again, and on the third day, he did. It's exactly what happened. So here's the lesson for us tonight. Are you going through a test, a trial, a hardship, a heartbreak, a difficulty? Are you going through a time that maybe you just need to remember, I don't know what I don't know. This could be orchestrated by my loving Father in heaven, designed to strengthen my faith and develop me to more the image of Jesus Christ. And if that's the case, or if it's even a remote possibility that that's the case, and I would say in most times it is, then my response would be same thing I shared this morning. What does this mean? I surrender. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. When we're going through trials, we need to look for the hand of God in it. We need to understand that He's using it to develop our faith and lead us to greater victory. And that He's using the circumstances, the place of that test, to impact the lives of many other people around me. That it's not just about me. You know what? When I'm going through a hard time, I tend to think it's all about me. And I shut the rest of the world out because I want to have a pity party that's just about me. And God has to remind me it's more than just about you. I'm allowing you to go through this, but I have a whole host of people that need to grow and develop into the image of my son through your test. And that some you'll never know will be impacted. And God wants you and I to remember that he has a far grander purpose in mind. Than just developing our faith. He had a far grander purpose in mind. Than just developing Abraham's faith. He was using this test. As a catalyst. For the gospel. So that others could see. Hear and know. The person of Jesus Christ. That's why you're being tested. That. Alone is the highest purpose of your test. It is so that others will see, hear, and know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That's what life is all about. Have you figured that out yet? It's not about how much we make or how comfortable we can make our lives or how much even we grow to become like Christ in this life. Our life exists because God left us here as saved people, because He wants to use everything we go through, the good, the bad, and the ugly, that others might know Him. You know, I read it in Genesis this past week, the trials that the plagues that God brought on Egypt. And you would think God did that to lead to open the way for Israel. To leave Egypt. Isn't that the, just the common sense thing? Sure. And then God even said that that's what he was going to do. But then you read later that God had a higher purpose in mind. He told Moses, I'm going to bring all these plagues upon Egypt. So that Egypt will know that I am the Lord. That's what God wants for you and me and for everybody around us. That we know that he is God. And that we surrender our lives to Him. It's all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's all about Him. That's what your life is about. If you have ever wondered, young people, you now you know. What is life all about? Jesus. What's my testing? Why this testing? Why this hardship? Jesus. Why all these blessings in my life? Why am I enjoying such richness and fullness? Jesus. 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 It's all for Him. It's all about Him. Father, thank you.